Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 206. Before we start, I'd like to give a shout out to Florence Tomato, or is it Tomoto? Um, sorry about that. And Lucy May for liking the Week in Doubt Facebook page. I'd also like to make a quick correction or clarification of sorts. In last week's documentary special, The Secret World of the Gnostics, I stated that Samael, one of the names given to the Demiurge, means quote-unquote blind god in Aramaic. Well, I was right and I was wrong. How's that for covering my bases? Uh, Supposedly, the Gnostics did claim that Samael meant blind god, which was in keeping with their idea of the demiurge, the lesser being or false god, who made the material world as being blind. And several sources do claim that Samael is Aramaic for blind god. However, the trouble arises when the discussion shifts to talk of Samael as the angel of death in the ancient Jewish tradition. In this context, most sources claim that Samael translates as poison or venom of God. Things become even more confused due to the fact that some claim both these translations are wrong and Samael translates ironically to something having to do with peace or harmony. Oh well, no one ever claimed the quest for knowledge would be easy. Uh, Maybe there's some understandable etymological reason for the confusion. But anyway, onward. I just wanted to mention that so people weren't coming at me with claims that I got the translation wrong. I know my friend Crocoduck, a.k.a. Humorbot, is probably waiting for me to issue a correction regarding the Gospel of Judas. But I'm not going to do that just yet. Crocoduck is skeptical of its authenticity, and in fairness to him, I think that's somewhat understandable. After all, it's the Gospel of Judas. That's a pretty big claim. And I remember when I first heard about it in the news some years back, I think I was skeptical at first, too. I was thinking, the Gospel of Judas, really? Is this going to end up being another sketchy find like the uh, Ossuary of James? But from what I can glean, it seems to be thought of as the real deal by many bigwig uh, biblical scholars, including the likes of Bart Ehrman and uh, Elaine Pagels. Could it be a well-made or convincing fake? That's always a possibility. I'm not convinced of that yet. Uh, Crocoduck and I agree on almost everything, so we were probably due for a healthy difference of opinion. So even though both uh, John Kasich, is it John Kasich or John Kasich, anyway? So even though both John Kasich and uh, Crocoduck are skeptical of the Gospel of Judas, I think it's safe to say they're skeptical for different reasons. I think Crocoduck is just maintaining a healthy degree of skepticism. Well, I think Kasich, at the end of the day, just doesn't like the Gospel of Judas because it contradicts or threatens his religious worldview. And that's what I really have a problem with. Religious people irrationally thumbing their noses at all these, uh, what are to me, fascinating and important outside texts just because they threaten their worldview. But wait, regarding the Gospel of Judas, this kind of sounds like the type of thing that calls for a wager. If you can prove that the Gospel of Judas is a forgery, I'll paint myself purple and do a live stream wearing nothing but a pair of Crocs. Why a pair of Crocs? You probably wouldn't be able to see that through a webcam. Unless I hosted the stream from a craftmatic bed in the classic V position. What the hell am I talking about? Well, just in case this comes back to bite me and tomorrow's headlines say the Gospel of Judas is a fake, no, I'm not doing that. No naked live streams. Well, so much for not trying to offend anyone on the show. Speaking of that, I wanted to quickly get something off my chest. 
So I've noticed that whenever I upload or publish content that's a bit more irreverent, edgy, or opinionated, I tend to lose some subscribers, particularly on YouTube. Now, I know I shouldn't let it bother me, but it does. And I think I just experienced this again yesterday. I uploaded a short video to YouTube that I won't bother adding to the podcast feed. It started out with me just trying to teach myself how to pause a video in iMovie in order to provide commentary. I needed a video to experiment with, so I used an old clip of Richard Dawkins clashing with uh, Brandon Flowers from The Killers over the subject of Mormonism on some Scandinavian talk show. So I let myself off the leash a bit, uh, so to speak, plenty of irreverent commentary and cursing, and I noticed it was well-received, lots of uh, upvotes, but also I noticed my subscriber numbers suddenly uh, dropping as well. The upload before that was last week's special on Gnosticism, which I think is much more serious and respectful in tone. So maybe people subbed thinking they were going to get more of that kind of content, and then the uh, latest upload turned them off and they unsubscribed. Do I know for sure that's what happened? No, obviously not. I'm not a mind reader. But I guess I find it perplexing because I'm the type of person who once I subscribe to you, I'm pretty much sub to you for life or until you shut down your podcast or channel. Um, a person would probably have to get convicted of a triple homicide or personally attack or insult me in order for me to unsub. So I don't get the fickleness. If you generally like someone's content, are you really going to unsub just because they get a little irreverent once in a while or disagree on a couple of points? Uh, yeah, I don't get it. But on the other hand, everyone's different, and it might be something as benign or innocuous as someone just trying to tidy up their YouTube homepage by unsubbing to channels they don't watch that often. Uh, but a final word on this point. Like everyone, I have different aspects to my personality. Sometimes I'm kind of wild and irreverent. Sometimes I'm thoughtful and sober. Um... Uh, they're both genuine aspects of my personality. Ergo, sometimes you, you might get a serious documentary out of me. Other times you might get me joking about painting myself purple. So uh, when you sub to me, that's what you're in for. I guess you could say the weakened out is like the proverbial box of chocolates. Anyway, let's move on to the news. Uh, let's see, I collected a plethora, a plethora, I say, of stories over the past week. Which should, uh, which should I do first? There's a story about Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty offering to baptize Donald Trump. Yeah, baptize him. Let's find out what's really going on with that hair. But anyway, I'll read a little bit from the article. In a speech to the Values Voter Summit on Saturday, reality TV star Phil Robertson recounted a meeting with Donald Trump in which he told the GOP presidential nominee that he would baptize him on camera to get quote-unquote God on our side. If you really want to see something wild, film it, Donald. Film me baptizing you, the Duck Dynasty patriarch recalled, telling Trump. The left-wingers will literally go crazy and the evangelicals will swarm to you like a mighty thrall. Because then we would know we have God on our side. I'm surprised uh, Phil Robertson's vocabulary includes the word thrall. Uh, I expected less. There's a couple of embedded clips. Maybe I'll play one. Uh, there's something about Phil... Wait. Mighty thrall? Did he mean mighty throng, maybe? Isn't a thrall a slave or servant or something? Kind of like to be enthralled. 
I think Glenn Danzig has an album called Demon Sweat Thrall Live or something like that. Yeah, but uh, as I was saying, there's a couple of embedded clips here. Uh, I think I'll play one. I'll probably include the uh, video version uh, in, in the YouTube version of this episode. Uh, but there's something about Phil Robertson that really reminds me of Charles Manson. Not just the beard, but something creepy about his affect, too. Uh, it's bizarre. And no, I'm not saying Phil Robertson is a deranged psychopath. I'm just saying he reminds me of one. By the way, when old Phil here... That's me. No, it's him. Met Mr. Trump earlier. He said, what do Phil do? What I do. Old Rob here had written down... An arrow coming down out of heaven. And he had written above it. I wrote this down there on the riverbank. I wrote down there 1 AD. Arrow coming out of heaven. I had a cross there. I wrote it. I just wrote. I didn't say a word. I just wrote it. 1 AD. Arrow. God becoming flesh. I drew a cross where the blood was shed for our sin. And I put a tomb where they put him and where you're going. And I had an arrow coming out of that tomb. He beat it. He beat death. You say, did you show Mr. Trump that? What do you think? <laughs> you better believe I showed him that. You know what I said? I said, Donald, don't miss this. I said, we need God on our side. I was just trying to give him some encouraging words. <laughs> and I also told him, I said, if you really want to see something wild, I said, film it, Donald. Film me baptizing you. I said, the left-wingers will literally go crazy. And I said, in the evangelicals will swarm you like a mighty throng. No, I think he got it right. right. That's throng. The article had his throng. Give him that much. We have God on our side. So I'm only saying that right now in front of you because I know it will get to Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm hoping he will do that. So you say you did your job, didn't you? You got to remember, God calls people for different tasks, ladies and gentlemen. Jeez, that somber music at the end of every one of Right Wing Watch's uh, videos. It's like the secret music that only you hear as you're dying. I'm a strange person, I know. Other than that, I don't really have a lot to say about that clip. It's classic Phil Robertson, Kmart Moses, spouting a bunch of fundamentalist crap. Let's see. Next, we have a story from Patheos about how everyone still hates atheists. It's by Dan Arrell, and it's dated September 12th, uh, so not long ago at all, just a few days ago. Study. Atheists remain the most disliked religious minority in the U.S. Americans simply don't like atheists, says yet another study. In 2014, Pew Research found that atheists ranked down at the bottom of the list, only one point above Muslims as the least trusted religious demographic in the United States. Putting aside the fact that atheism isn't a religion, the idea of no religion is still meaningful when doing religious polls like this. 
Now, according to a new study released by University of Minnesota sociologists, shows that today atheists are the most disliked. The study compared a previous 2003 study with the new study originally conducted in 2014 and found that Americans have only sharpened their dislike for atheists and religious nuns. Not nuns, N-U-N-S, nuns as in none. The study found that among the 2,500 polled, 40% of Americans disprove of non-religion, and 27% of Americans say that atheists don't share my morals or values. When it comes to the non-religious, people were much more favorable to spiritual but not religious than they were to those who said they held no religion at all. Science blogs noted that the findings show that these attitudes are strongly driven by a belief that religiosity is central for civic virtue, that societal standards of right and wrong should be rooted in historic religious traditions, and that Christianity underpins American identity. There are no mainstream cultural expressions or depictions on television, for example, to present atheism to the general public, says Penny Edgel, one of the study's researchers. It's only in the last decade that a secular coalition of American atheists and non-religion organizations have gotten together. I expect that in the near future we'll see more effort on their part to change perceptions and lobby to change policy. How Americans feel about Muslims will be the focus of an upcoming paper, and it will be interesting to see how that compares to those feelings towards atheists, especially given the recent political climate around the U.S. So sadly, in a way, I'm not surprised by the findings of this study, and yet it still blows my mind. It's hard for me to understand how people in this day and age are still disliked and vilified simply because they don't believe in a god or embrace a man-made religion. It really is rather topsy-turvy, in my opinion. We have the cognitive awareness to be skeptical of ancient man-made stories and superstitious wish-thinking, and we're the ones in the wrong. And it reminds me of a telling experience I recently had. Uh, I think it was just uh, a day or so ago, I went to see a pulmonary specialist. Uh, I'll try not to digress. It just ha has to do with checking up on uh, the asthma that I've basically had since I was a, a little kid. And um, you know how doctors always like to make small talk? I think it's their way of trying to... Uh, relax you and make you feel comfortable before they start bombarding you with medical questions. So I think he had told me before that he was a musician and I told him how I was a podcaster and that kind of interested him. Well, this time he asked me, he said, oh yeah, you're a podcaster. What's the content about? So automatically, you know, whenever someone asks me that, I kind of pause for a moment Because you never know if you're talking to a religious person, how they're going to react. And I say, well, I basically host an atheist podcast. And I said, you know, I'm a little self-conscious when I first tell people because I don't know if I'm talking to a religious person or not. And he said, well, you're talking to a religious person, uh, but hey, it's a free country. And it's weird if I'm out with friends or if I'm at a party, if I, if I meet strangers at a party, I don't, I'll, I'll tell people in a heartbeat that I'm an atheist or agnostic atheist and that I host an atheist podcast. But if it was something like a job interview or something like even talking to a doctor when you feel like this person in a way has some kind of decision-making power over you, uh, you know, and you just don't know how they're going to react or whatever. But I think it's telling that in this day and age, um, 
where, where, and I'm just speaking for myself, I guess, but I think other people have the same experience, we're made to feel somewhat uncomfortable just for speaking up and, and, and telling people what we believe. There really is that kind, still, unfortunately, that kind of scarlet letter thing going on, I think. And people on the right will try to argue, oh, the country is becoming more and more secular. Religious people are being ridiculed and, and persecuted, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe there's a point to be made on both sides. Even if society is becoming more secular, um, at least in America, people do still have this prejudice uh, against or, or bias against atheists. And I've talked in the past how I think a lot of it has to do with the label. Um, there's something really loaded about the label. It's become demonized. If you sat down and told someone over a couple of drinks, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, who knows? You know, I, I think religions are basically made up. Uh, I don't really picture anything happening happening when I die. They might think that that's a perfectly sane and insightful view to have. But as soon as you call yourself self an atheist, there's something about that label that uh, sets people off. I don't know. But yeah, and of course, sadly, this article touches on some hackneyed stereotypes. Atheists are immoral. Atheists um, don't feel as much of a sense of civic duty or whatever. Just uh, ridiculous and insulting stuff. But, but there it is. Um, there's the unfortunate status quo. And let's see, now this one's kind of old news now. Not long ago, Mother Teresa was canonized. She was declared a uh, saint by Pope Francis. I could do a whole show on this and uh, whether or not Mother Teresa deserves all the accolades she's received over the years, etc. I think when I was younger, even though I was a non-believer, uh, as someone who was raised Catholic or who just thought that someone was doing good work, I actually kind of admired or, or liked Mother Teresa. I, I thought of her with a certain fondness. But there's definitely a dark side. And like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this story. But you can go on YouTube and look for the... Uh, it's a very short documentary series. I think it's entitled Hell's Angel. And uh, it's hosted by um, by uh, the late, great Christopher Hitchens. And he, of course, authored the book. I don't know if it's technically a book or a long-form essay or both, uh, entitled uh, Mother Teresa, The Missionary Position, I think it is. And there's lots of stories. And like I said, I don't want to try to go too in-depth right now because I don't have all the facts in front of me. But lots of stories about large sums of money not being accounted for, kind of deplorable conditions in her missions, hobnobbing with dictators and corrupt politicians. And uh, there was some kind of morbid belief she had about how suffering brought people closer to God. So people really weren't being healed in her missions. I think it's more the case that Maybe you could say they were trying to be made more comfortable, but there wasn't really any serious medical care going on, I think. And then I think she also had, you know, the typical backwards religious views regarding contraception, etc. 
Brian Dunning of Skeptoid not that long ago did an episode on Mother Teresa, and he brought up a lot of the same points that Hitchens did, and it was fairly hard-hitting, but at the same time, I think maybe near the end, it kind of flips in tone, and Dunning actually took a more sympathetic view of Mother Teresa in the end. But yeah, if you want to know the truth about Mother Teresa, or at least the, the truth about the darker side that, that of her story, not just all the, the sweetness and light, check out that episode of Skeptoid, and check out Christopher Hitchens' Hell's Angel documentary or documentary series, and uh, his book, The Missionary Position. And as I joked on Facebook, she's magic now, because another primate said so. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's do one more story. And be forewarned, this is definitely a, a disturbing one. And this is also from Patheos, and it's by uh, someone named Michael Stone. And it's dated September 9th, and it's entitled, Pastor Rapes Teen, Church Asks Victim to Apologize to Pastor's Wife. Ohio Church blames and shames teen rape victim. After a youth pastor in Ohio raped a teen girl, church officials asked the young victim to apologize to her rapist's wife. Brian Mitchell, a North Olmstead youth pastor, will spend a decade in prison for raping a 16-year-old girl who was also a member of his church. Mitchell, 31, pleaded guilty to four counts of sexual battery. According to reports, Mitchell sexually abused the teen on at least two separate occasions. In a letter to the court recounting her horrific experience at the hands of the demented youth pastor, the unnamed teen girl wrote, I did not give him permission. I clearly said no didn't want to. And while the story of a youth pastor raping a minor is nothing new, uh, I wasn't necessarily aware of that. That's horrible. I was aware of all the uh, stories that have come out of the Catholic Church over the years, but I didn't know this was something among youth pastors too. The details of this particular story of a youth pastor raping a teen is more heinous than most. After the youth pastor was arrested for repeatedly raping the unnamed teen girl, officials at the Columbia Road Baptist Church blamed and shamed the young victim and forbid the family of the unnamed teenage girl from attending services until she apologized to the wife of youth pastor Brian Mitchell. The Cleveland Plain Dealer reports, the girl's mother said in court that church officials told her their family couldn't return to the church until she apologized to Mitchell's wife. That's right, the church's officials demanded that the young victim apologize to the youth pastor's wife for being raped by her husband. In a word, it is despicable. And uh, I'd have to agree. As one might imagine, the family has since left the church. And while church members blamed and shamed the teen for being raped, they showed sympathy for the rapist. The former youth pastor received around three dozen letters of support from church members. After the news broke of the despicable behavior of church officials, in an attempt at damage control, officials at the Columbia Road Baptist Church made a post to their Facebook page reading in part, The accusation that an apology was required from the victim or her family to return was a result of a serious misunderstanding and does not reflect what actually transpired. However, the church's Facebook page has since been deleted. On the church website, the following cryptic message can be found. In regard to recent news stories featuring our church, Columbia Road Baptist Church has fully cooperated with the authorities and have nothing to add. 
And the uh, story concludes with, uh, bottom line, the church is obviously a dangerous place for women and children. Any organization that would blame and shame a rape victim is morally bankrupt, deserving only scorn and contempt. Yeah, so definitely a very twisted and depressing story. And if the story and all the facts within are accurate, I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. And it would seem to demonstrate this kind of archaic idea that somehow it's the woman's fault for being raped. Like she was some kind of, Je- you know, irresistible Jezebel. And uh, it's not the preacher's fault, the guy's fault at all. So absolutely disgusting. And I'm probably going to leave you guys on that that cherry note. Um, and, and this is going to sound weird, but I want to ask you guys a, f- a favor. So I mentioned how I went to uh, a pulmonary specialist And so uh, I tried to avoid it for a long time, but he put me back on these inhaled steroids, basically a drug you might have heard of called Advair. It's a combination drug. It has a bronchodilator, basically a drug that kind of acts like a rescue inhaler, but uh, more uh, long lasting, just kind of opens up your airways, but also has a kind of like a cortisone based steroid component too. I think they're called corticosteroids or corticosteroids or whatever. And they're infamous for causing complications with the throat, oral thrush, things like that. Uh, They can affect the vocal cords. And as a singer and now a podcaster, I've had really bad reactions to inhaled steroids over the years. And I was loath to go back on them. Uh, but they gave me an aerosol version, which is supposed to be better, I, as I understand it, than taking the inhaled powder version. So now it's driving me crazy. Uh, I'm trying to make sure that this drug isn't affecting my voice. And on top of that, the guys in the band and I recently started talking about getting back together and recording again. Right around the time I started these inhaled steroids that have messed with my voice in the past. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, give me some feedback. Let me know, did my voice tonight sound the same as usual, better than usual, worse than usual? I have a low gravelly voice anyway, but does it it sound worse than usual? Let me know. Man, am I being neurotic. And also, uh, if you enjoyed the episode or if you enjoy the show in general, please let me know what you think. There's varying avenues for feedback. Uh, you can let me know through the Weekend Out Facebook page, Twitter, by leaving a review on iTunes. And if you're a YouTube subscriber, as it goes, please uh, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, all that would be much appreciated. If you want to help the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to Patreon. Um just go to patreon.com slash the weekend out and you can support the show for as little as 99 cents. And there's some new bonus content up on Patreon right now. As I uh, mentioned before, it's my reading of HP Lovecraft's short story, the outsider. All right. And uh, also now that the tomb has run its course, I've actually put the tomb up on iTunes. You can help the show out that way too. By uh, purchasing uh, the tomb for a dollar ninety nine uh, off of iTunes. All right, guys. Uh, until next week. Thanks. Maybe I should test my voice out and end the show with a little crystal ship. I have a stuffy nose too, but uh, let's see how it goes. The days are bright. 
and filled with pain, enclose me in your gentle rain. All right, was that uh, was that good or was that douche chills? Ha! <laughs> Gotta knock the rust out of the pipes.